things weave together, and uh, maybe you're listening to the, the verses and see, how, what's the common theme here? And the common theme and the word that kind of stood out to me is the word obedience. A word of obedience. Uh, as we look at the Old Testament, the New Testament scriptures, as we culminate and really in many ways climax with the gospel, um, we see with the story of Zacchaeus. So that's what I'm going to do. I've never preached on Zacchaeus before. Um, I've never actually, to be honest with you, ever contemplated this. You know, it's one of those kids' verses. You hear, you know, Zacchaeus was a wee man. I, I think it's maybe how the little song goes. And uh, as I was reading, it kind of stood up to me because I'm a short guy too. Amen. We have any <laughs> short people here in the room that's like, you hear the story of Zacchaeus and you think, you know what? If that guy could uh, follow the Lord and do, do something for the Lord, then maybe there's hope for me. And so a word, as you kind of see, that kind of weaves through this is obedience. And I think it culminates, again, with this gospel passage. We see Zacchaeus is kind of an icon of what does it mean when Jesus comes to town? Um, how are we to respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ? How will we respond to the Lord? And so... Carefully reflecting over the, um, the readings, um, in particular this gospel reading, it challenges our perceptions and stereotypes and formulas of who can be saved and how are we to respond and how people come to faith. Um, Zacchaeus didn't pray the seven spiritual laws. Amen. He didn't have somebody hand him a, a Baptist Bible track. Uh, he climbed a tree. It's a really interesting story of... Uh, one person's kind of journey of faith that really kind of breaks our models of evangelism and how Jesus actually moves in people's lives. And so Zacchaeus, as you kind of look at his story, he, again, he kind of breaks the mold. Um, and what's interesting is, as you look at um, Luke 18, if you, you know, one of the ways to kind of take Scripture in their full context is to see what's happening before and after the passage that you're reading. And so we have, in Luke 18, we have the famous story of the rich, young ruler. He was rich, he was young, he wanted to follow Jesus, and Jesus said, give everything you've owned, give all of your wealth, then come and follow me, and he leaves saddened. And, and the Bible tells us Jesus has a heart for him. His heart's moved uh, with compassion. But here's another story, just on the heels of, of, of that story of the rich ruler that we often focus on. And honestly, I've never contemplated the story of Zacchaeus before. So that was really fascinating. So here's Zacchaeus, a story that actually when you parallel it with the rich ruler, Zacchaeus is both a chief tax collector, which, you know, in essence in that day he was hated like the lawyers. We, we don't like lawyers today, and so if you're a lawyer, you know, I'm sorry, but that's kind of stereotypical, isn't it? So in that day, the Jews didn't like tax collectors and they didn't like lawyers because they, one, they took their money, and both of them took their money, right? And we see that Zacchaeus is a chief tax collector. He's not just a tax collector, but he's the chief tax collector over that particular uh, region geographic location, but he's also rich, and it uses that language of rich. And again, Parallel, remember the story that happens just the chapter uh, previous in Luke, where this other rich man leaves with his head down and he's not able to be obedient to the Lord. But Zacchaeus' story is a really interesting one. 
And he leaves triumphant. Jesus ultimately says, salvation has come to this house. There's affirmations. What's the difference between these two rich individuals? And we'll look at that here in a minute. But what are some observations that we can gain from the story of Zacchaeus? So again, number one, he's short. All right, so I'm sorry, I'm just going to emphasize that. It's just, it's a short guy thing. He's short, we can observe this. Two, we can see that here's Zacchaeus with his wealth, abundance, and affluence. He's an influential person. He's an influential man in, his, in the community, the region. He has a, he's a place of influence. He's wealthy. But what we see when we really dig into the text, we see that the wealth and the privilege did not satisfy him. Money cannot satisfy. We see that he's dissatisfied. There's a dissatisfaction. So how do we know this? We see that Zacchaeus in the story, it says he looks ahead and he's looking for Jesus. And he's so short he's got to climb a tree. And he's hungry. He can't see Jesus for the crowds. So what this tells me about Zacchaeus, he had everything that the world could offer, but the things of the world could not satisfy so here he was, I think, and this is, again, a paradigm for um, how coming to faith is that it begins with the dissatisfaction. There's a longing and a stirring. And um, I've been reading, uh, some of my Old Testament readings here recently have been in the book of Exodus, where you have the people of Israel and the, the, the building of the, the temple and the design and, the, and the, how God raised up the artisans. And, the vast majority of the people, it says that their hearts were stirred and they were willing to be obedient. And so this, this theme of obedience weaves through these passages. But his heart was stirred. There was a stirring in his heart for more, a longing for more um, than just the material possessions of this world. And so what we see here is Zacchaeus is looking for Jesus. It says it in the text that he's looking for Jesus, but he can't see him. So what does he do? He runs. It says he, he runs to get ahead of the crowd. He's, he's not only looking and longing, but he's hungry. And a hunger for God moves us to action and to obedience. And stirring moves us to obedience. And so here he goes. He runs. And I love this. this is, it's a quirky gospel story. He climbs a sycamore tree. How many of y'all remember, maybe as a kid, climbing a tree? I used to love, one of my favorite things to do as a kid, and, uh, uh, Annabelle, Caroline, you know, our girls, when they're younger, Caroline will walk by a tree, and she, she'll sneak up there and try to climb the tree, and then I'll have to push her up in the tree, and then she'll get up there, and she'll want to come down because it's kind of scary, you get up there high. And So here's a story, a gospel story, of this, this rich a uh, wealthy, influential individual who comes to a place of desperation and a longing for Jesus. There's a thirsting and a hunger. And there's a humility in this. And we've, we've heard this in some of our passages here recently with the story of um, Lazarus and the rich man. The rich man's not willing to leave his courts to go out to where um, Lazarus is. And here is... Again, another story of a wealthy man who is willing to lay aside all of the affluence, the abundance, to run out where the common people are, to get a picture of Jesus, just to see the face of Jesus. And he's, he's, he's laying aside everything, and he's so humble that he's willing to climb a sycamore tree in front of everybody. 
This tells you something. He's not too good. He's not too proud. He lays aside his, his pride, his, any arrogance or any um, um, things that, that may come with all of the stuff and the possessions to say, I'm hungry for this Jesus. I want to see a glimpse of Jesus. And I'm willing to run to see him and I'm willing to climb a tree and to be debased in front of all. It's fascinating if you think about it. So imagine if you know, some, some popular teacher comes to town and you can't see him and you're, you just climb a tree in today's world in the midst of everybody. And you're, again, this is a very interesting passage in this. So there's, uh, there's a hunger that I see in the story of Zacchaeus, but there's also action. He's not just hearing and saying, hey, Jesus, I want to follow you. He's actually going after Jesus. He's running after Jesus. And he's willing to humble himself in front of, and to make himself a fool in front of everyone in order to see who Jesus is. And I think this is why Zacchaeus is named in the story. This is why this is a, a story that's included in the Gospels. Here's a person of influence that's willing to lay aside all of those things to follow Jesus. And that's the call of discipleship. That's the call on all of our lives. There are times when God calls us to do things that will make us look like a fool. Amen? Have you ever done something that made you, quote, maybe look stupid in the eyes of the Lord, but when you were obedient to follow, that's when God moved in your own life or in the life of others? So this is what I see in the humility of Zacchaeus being willing to lay aside the, all the honors, all the, all, the, all the stuff to follow Jesus. And Jesus sees him. The Bible says he sees his faith and he speaks a word to him. So here's a crowd. So the, the, the interesting thing, and I don't know that this is uh, appropriate for today, but the funny thing is I, I took, um, I was out in Lexington yesterday and my favorite thing to do is I love Joseph Beth Bookstore. We got any book people? I know we got some book people in here. So I whip in Joseph Beth, and I'm like, what in the world is it? You can't even find a parking spot. Now, I remember there's, there's the, the book fair, the Kentucky book fair, and I remember Wendell Berry's going to be there. So I, I drive around for 10 minutes. I find a spot. And I'm not saying Wendell Berry is Jesus, so hear me, please. All right? Don't, don't leave here and be like, that guy is a heretic. I'm just follow the, follow the story. So I, whip, so I whip in, I, I go in, the place is packed. I didn't have a sticker. I snuck in. I had t-shirts and flip-flops on. And I go, I find the area where he is, and he, he's, he's just leaving. I mean, the place is packed. And I, you know, asked the lady, I was like, is he still signing books? She's like, no, honey, he's, he's been here for hours. He's, he's in his 80s, he's tired, he's gone. I was like, ah. Oh. So I, I go to leave. And again, I'm not Zacchaeus, and Wendell Berry's not Jesus, so I'm just saying that, okay? So I walk out the front door. I call Kay. I'm like, oh, Kay, I just missed Wendell Berry. Get off, get off the phone. I say, you know what? I'm going to go in one more time. I'm just going to go in one more time. Maybe, maybe I'll see him. So I go in, and he's coming out of the restroom. He's like just standing off to himself, off to the side. Say, here's, my, here's my chance. So I got five minutes with Wendell Berry yesterday. I don't know how that applies to the story, but somehow it does. Somehow it does. <laughs> so Jesus says it this way. Here Zacchaeus climbs a tree. He's willing to just lay aside everything and say, Jesus, I'm, I just want to see Jesus. I want to see him so bad I'm going to climb a tree. Now, here's what I'm saying. Out of all the crowd, 
it emphasizes out of the crowd, Jesus looks up and sees Zacchaeus. He says, I must come to stay at your house. Out of all the people, Jesus chooses Zacchaeus. And I think Jesus can see his heart and the humility. And this passage reminds us that anybody and everybody, there's this open invitation that all whosoever will come. And so two responses happen out of this, if you notice this in the passage. So again, tax collectors, um, you know, the lawyers, these, you know, there are people that the Jewish people, they just didn't like. So it says this, that the people grumbled and says he is a guest of sinners. Our God is a guest of sinners. Jesus shares meals with sinners. And Jesus chooses Zacchaeus out of the whole crowd. And the danger, I, I see this as a parallel for church people. Oftentimes we, um, you know, we can look out and, you know, I see this as, you know, oftentimes we can grumble, you know, that word grumbling. But Jesus says, I'm going to come and stay at your house. So the first response is to grumble and say, well, he's, he's a guest of sinners. But what does Zacchaeus do? Zacchaeus' response is one of, again, humility. He's overwhelmed. And Zacchaeus' response is one of incredible generosity. Somehow weaved in between the text, Zacchaeus comes to faith. Again, it doesn't fit our formulas. It doesn't fit the seven spiritual laws. He didn't, he didn't, quote, pray the sinner's prayer, but he knew he was a sinner. And in the midst of, I believe, as he was running to get ahead of the crowd, and as he was climbing that tree, that was an act of faith. It was an act of faith. Jesus takes us to take that step of faith. And then the next step of faith, as a response to his faith, he says, Jesus, I'm going to get... I'm, I've, I've, some of his wealth, what's implied here, probably was gained, um, you know, uh, maybe not from the, the right ways, but what is, how does Zacchaeus respond with his wealth? He responds with a heart of generosity back to the grace of God. Jesus extends grace and fellowship to, Jesus, to Zacchaeus saying, I am going to stay, I must. The scripture says, I must come to your house. And Zacchaeus responds and says, I'm going to give half of everything I own to the poor, to the needy. I'm going to give it back. And if I've taken anything inappropriately or misused or abused, then I'm going to give it back. And, and so his response to God's salvation is a generous and abundant heart. This was the difference between the rich young ruler and Zacchaeus, is that Zacchaeus was willing to give out of the overflow of his heart. He wasn't willing to just, uh, just give a little sacrifice, but he was obedient. It was an obedient heart to Jesus. And as I think about our own life, this, this overflow of joy, in other words, he's not giving grudgingly. He's not saying, hey, I'm going to give you just a little, little bit. Zacchaeus is saying, I, I want to give out of the abundance of how Jesus has given to me. Because that day, Jesus says, salvation has come to your house. When salvation comes to your house, you can't help but give back out of the generosity. Back to the Lord. So the church needs men and women like Zacchaeus. Amen? And in some ways, we're all like Zacchaeus. Maybe you're not short. 
maybe, you know, depending on how tall you are, whatever your circumstances, we all have something to give. And I was praying about it this, uh, this week. One, oftentimes I think we can ostracize those who maybe have wealth and affluence and not understand that God wants to use their gifts and talents and their possessions for the kingdom purposes. So some of us have wealth. Some of us have gifts and talents. All of us have something in our hands to give. So I'm reminded of the boy who, uh, in the Gospels, who this, this, uh, this boy who had nothing to give but loaves and fish. You had the disciples, they didn't, have, you know, they, they didn't get it, but that boy had enough faith to say, here's what I do have. And Jesus took it, he blessed it, and he multiplied it. Reminded of the woman who, when the prophet came to her house, he said, what's in your house? All she had was a little oil. And when that oil is blessed and multiplied, it becomes abundance for many. There's a commercial that says, what's in your wallet? What's in your wallet today? But more specifically, what's in your hands? What's in your hands to give back to the Lord? Now, the key to this story isn't necessarily that Zacchaeus was a wealthy man. Could have been anything. We, we look at, we see stories of the woman at the well. We see stories of all sorts of people who follow Jesus. Some of them wealthy, some of them not. Some of them, uh, you know, adulterous, right? And, and, and what all that Jesus asks of us this morning is not to give what we don't have, but that we be willing to be obedient to give back what we do have to put it in the hands of the Lord, to take what's in our hands to say, Jesus, I'm going to give this to you and I'm going to lay it in your hands because little is much if God is in it. And God takes the little that we have and multiplies it for the sake of the kingdom. Now, there are some of us this morning that maybe God has blessed us with abundance and wealth. And maybe that's the very thing that the Lord this morning is asking you to give back. But in this room, there are gifts and talents. There are treasures that are stored in your heart. That Jesus is saying, what is that thing that I have given to you to do for the kingdom? And all that we have to do this morning is to be obedient to give that back unto the Lord. Maybe it's a gift of prayer or intercession. Maybe it's a gift of hospitality. Maybe it's a, it's, it's a gift of art. We had an art show um, this week at um, the sanctuary. What do you have to give back to the Lord this morning? So the Lord wants to use every one of us today. Not just a few individuals, not, you know, not just the, the clergy of Wilmore Anglican, but every man, woman, and child, every member of this church. God has given you gifts. God has deposited gifts in you. And there are hopes and dreams in some of your hearts. I'll end with this story. The Kay and I pastored a little church in the mountains of Tennessee, East Tennessee. I'm, I'm from Tennessee. I'm a Tennessee boy. So when I go back to Tennessee, my accent kind of changes, and Kay's like, you sound like a country boy. And when I'm around country, it just comes out. I'm like, all right, y'all. 
I'm, I'm from East Tennessee. and we, Our first church we ever pastored was a little church in the mountains of East Tennessee. And, and um, it was a, about 20 members. It was a 90-year-old church. And I remember we, bat, we, we, no, no, no. we buried six people in the first three months we were there. I remember praying in the altar saying, Lord, is anybody ever going to come to faith in this church? Is, any, you know, is anything good ever come out of it? This is a little town called Crab Orchard. And um, the Lord sent me a, a retired, he was a Green Beret of Vietnam. He was, a, he was like a, he worked at the Pentagon, let's put it that way. He was like a retired Army general that 30 minutes up the road, I, I knew his daughter from seminary. She called me and she said, hey, my dad is retiring up in this place called Fairfield Glade. is like a retirement, you know, golfing area. She said, he's always wanted to help a pastor. I was like, great. This is all I need, some army general to retired from the Pentagon to come and help me with the church. Great, thanks. And uh, his name is Drew Landris. Drew. And Drew, this guy, he was, he was about 65 at the time he came. He was so limber. He, he was a six-degree black belt Tai Chi master. He could pull his leg. <laughs> it was the craziest thing I ever saw. We'd be drinking green tea and he'd be like, I could kill you with this cup of green tea. <laughs> yeah, but no, please don't do it. Um, and he said, Winfield, I, I expected you know, this guy to come and just, he came with such humility and such grace. And we built this care center because we were in one of the poorest parts of rural kind of um, Tennessee mountains. And the Lord gave me a vision. He said, start a a food distribution center. And Drew and I built this thing. It started with a food pantry in the closet of our church. And this church was broke, busted, and disgusted. All right? It was one of those. In three years, that church in a town of 800 people grew to 150 uh, from 20. And we baptized about 80 people in that little church. God began to move. But part of, part of the, the miracle that happened on that little mountain was we built this, this care, we called it the Crab Orchard Care Center. In a town of 800 people, that center today feeds about 8,000 people a year. It hosts medical clinics. It started with nothing. The church had nothing. I had a generous donor who, I can't even remember his name, I met him one time, who helped fund the whole initiative um, who came alongside the church and had a vision for giving to help the poor in that region of East Tennessee. And I want to end with this. Has God put something on your heart? Has God given you a vision to do? And this is what Drew said to me, and this is why I told the whole Drew story. He said, Winfield, I've always dreamt about this. Serving a pastor and helping a church and doing something like what we're doing to to help the, the poor and the needy in this region. He said, I'll never forget this. He said, Winfield, God will give you a dream and a vision and he'll let it die, only to resurrect it later, to show you that it's his dream and his vision for your life. I want to close with this. Maybe the Lord's given you a dream that has died and God wants to resurrect that. And the gifts and the talents and the things that you have, God wants to use for the sake of his kingdom. So as I close in prayer, I want to ask you, what's in your hand? 
to give back to the Lord this morning. God wants to use you. God wants to use your gifts, your talents, those things that are in there. He wants to resurrect those things. And maybe you need to get out of your box and go climb a tree for Jesus. I like Zacchaeus. Lord, I'm willing to give you whatever I've got for the sake of the kingdom. Let us pray. Almighty God, we thank you today for your love and your grace. And we thank you, Lord, that your judgments are just and true. I thank you, Lord, that you call each of us to follow you. And that you've deposited and given each of us gifts for the kingdom this morning. So I pray for every man, woman, child of this church. That God, you would stir our hearts like Zacchaeus. Let us, like Zacchaeus, run after you. And be willing to even climb a tree if that's what we got to do to get a vision of Jesus. So give us a vision, Lord. Give us a vision of you and for you and for the sake of the world today. Little as much if, if God is in it. And it may be great things, it may be small things. But let us, let us be obedient this morning to whatever it is that you are calling us to do. We ask all of this in the name of the Father, and the Son, and of the Holy Spirit.